2: it can't go on Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts And this is Cutting Through the Matrix On August the 3rd, 2011 For newcomers, you should look into the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com And you'll find hundreds of audios there For free download Where you can hopefully get the shortcuts To this big system you're under This system that gives you your reality And constantly alters it too as we go along and you, you find the big players behind it—the big corporate enterprises, the foundations that are part of the parallel government, the real government, not the one that you think you elect. But I'll be running that as well, and the history behind it, that where they're taking you, what they think of humanity, and it, it's it'll hopefully, as I say, it'll give you shortcuts to understanding how it really does work instead of the the media barrage that you get every day of look here, look there, look here, look there, until you're utterly confused and just give up. That's the intention of the media. It's not there to tell you what's really going on on the big agenda because they're owned by the ones who are the parallel government. So help yourself. Remember, to all those sites you see listed there on the comm site, have transcripts as well of a lot of the talks they've given for print-up in English. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into Alan sentinel.eu and you'll find a variety to pick from there. And remember, too, that you're the audience that bring me to you. If you want to keep me trotting along here or crawling along, depends what day it is, then you can certainly buy the books and discs I have for sale at cutting through thematrix.com. And from the US to Canada, you can use a personal check you can still use an, an international postal money order. You can also uh, use PayPal to order. Use the donation button you'll find on the Com site and follow it with an email with name, address, and order. I'll get it out to you. And remember, straight donations, too, are certainly welcome. And some people just send cash. And across the world, you're, you're left with PayPal and Western Union and MoneyGram. Uh, these are the three methods you have. And I generally tend to give, as I say, uh, as I roll along here, I give little bits and pieces of the big system that runs the world, its history, uh, uh, where they they wanted to go a long time ago, because we're going through parts of uh, the big plan that really um, world meetings decided upon well over a 100 years ago, some of them, and what kind of society they'd have today. They predicted it because, you see, they made it happen. That's how you control the future, same as big corporations do. International corporations literally look at investments 50 years to 80 years ahead. It's the same with this big group that is called the New World Order. In fact, they gave us the term themselves, and they love to use it more and more openly all the time. So once you've uh, got a basic understanding of what's happening, um, you'll understand why things uh, are happening the way that they are happening. Nothing happens by chance in society. Everything comes from the top-down culture industry, the whole lot. Anything from the grassroots, truly, that wasn't uh, belonging to the ones who control, it would have to be demolished or taken over. Generally, it's taken over very quickly. You're infiltrated because even Plato said that, that all culture must be authorized from the top. Otherwise, they'd lose control. That's cultural changes and all... Uh, varieties of the society you live in and we're certainly going through them today and it's so amazing too how you get used to things we adapt and the the big boys at the top say this we adapt we're the most adaptable species on the planet mankind and we can adapt very quickly into any kind of system they give us we see that in history even the history of the 20th century and then into the 21st century where we've seen fascism communism Lots of different kinds of isms, the love-isms, of course. And we're now into the new uh, terrorism era. era, And everyone's adapted quite calmly about it. And folk go into their waiting queues and get, you know, x-rayed and all the rest of it quite calmly. We adapt to everything, unfortunately, because we're told it's normal. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, and we're cutting through the matrix, talking about how we adapt so quickly. And we're counted on to adapt by those who rule our lives, basically, and all governments do it, too. They have all their specialists working with them, and psychologists, and neuroscientists, and etc., all working towards our adaptability to what they have in store. And if they find that there's a, a big leap they want to make and taking rights away, and the public's not quite ready for it, but they want it quickly done or quickly done, and they simply make it happen. And that's why you have what they call false flag uh, events happening across the world. And it's no coincidence, for instance, that Norway was the one that was picked for that particular one. You have to go into different things that have happened or been signed in Norway to find out why. But anyway, that's up to you to go and do your own homework. But you'll find that even to do with the computer... And I've gone through before about the, the, the people who work in creating the programs that you use on the computer. Never mind the fact that they talked about giving us a technique, a, a system of communication that would change the, all of society, but would also benefit primarily those in control of society. And that was Brzezinski said that back in the 70s. So they have pro- people who teach you to prompt, they get prompted all the time by your computer, is teaching you where, where it wants you to go. And you follow along, just being prompted and prompted and prompted. But also, too, we know it to do with total uh, recognition for the present and the future. They want to know everything about you so that you're completely predictable. Or down the road, if you fall afoul of one of the many, many laws that are getting rammed through right now, without even knowing it, they can go back and find out, oh yeah, on this particular day you were looking at this particular site, and that's where you got the idea of this particular thing, or whatever it happens to be. And they're already doing that kind of stuff, of course. But here's an article here to show you how they plan it all ahead. And when the time is right for them, they they simply uh, implement it. Google and and Yahoo, all these big companies were put out in advance. They're all part of the intelligence gathering system. That's why they could break every law that was out there and, and get away with it. No one took them to trial. It's part of the World Intelligence Network. And, and it's like the CIA, people don't realize the CIA have many real businesses established, real businesses and big name ones too, that really do sell things that you buy. But that's a front for other, other things altogether. It's a front. All the, all the electric, electronic companies are the same. Google acquires facial biometric company, it says, Following Facebook's de- decision to implement biometric facial recognition software, Google has acquired a company to boost its facial recognition capabilities. The search giant recently purchased Pittsburgh Pattern Recognition, which develops technology that can search images and videos for a specific face. Following Facebook's decision to implement biometric facial recognition software, it's acquired the company. And anyway, it says that the search giant recently purchased Pittsburgh Pattern Recognition, PitPat, which develops technology that can search the images, etc., for the faces. And it says the move is contradictory to Google's previous actions and statements as the company developed and then later abandoned facial biometric technology due to privacy concerns. Well, this let you bide your time a little bit, and they come back with it again, because they never abandon anything that they put any work into. They always know where they want to go. So in June, speaking at the All things Digital D9 conference in California, former Google CEO Eric Schmidt said, "We built facial biometric technology, and we withheld it. He added, as far as I know it 's the only technology Google has built, and after looking at it, we decided to stop yeah, sure so i 'm very concerned personally about the union of mobile tracking and face recognition. Schmidt went on to say, in particular Google was concerned that facial recognition capabilities could be used for both both good and bad. Uh, and in a very bad way, he says. As an example, Schmidt pointed out how an evil dictator could use facial recognition to identify people in the crowd and use that technology against its citizens. Well, you see... (laughs) I know for a fact, since the 60s, uh, every every crowd that's been out there, especially protests, they've always been taking your photographs of every single person. Even if you're a, a bystander or somebody walking on the street, they took you as well to find out who you were. It's much easier for dictators nowadays. And that's what we have really today, is a, just a conglomerate of uh, dictators, really. Um, and that's, of course, what Carl Quigley was talking about, a new feudal system. Uh, new overlords, that's what we, what we have. So the company's latest acquisition suggests that despite the company's concerns, it still deems facial biometrics a worthy investment. We are Darren Toton because they've got a lot of cash. It's already, ha- always getting cash grants, by the way. Never tell you about the cash grants you get from government and Homeland Security and all these different organizations across the planet. But then you go into this here, biometrics face recognition software may reveal one's social security number. Researchers demonstrate ability to predict social security numbers from people's faces. When we share tagged photos of ourselves online, it becomes possible for others to link our face to our names in situations where we would normally expect anonymity, one of the researchers said. And it says um, it's possible to identify them uh, as strangers and gain their personal information, perhaps even social security numbers. Uh, by using this software and social media profiles, according to a study by Carnegie Mellon University's Alessandro Acquisti and his research team, results of the study will be presented in the 4th of August Black Hat Security Conference in Las Vegas. A person's face is the veritable link between her offline and online identities, said Acquisti, Associate Professor of Information Technology and Public Policy at the Heinz College and Carnegie Mellon Scilab Research. When we share tagged photographs or photographs of ourselves online, it becomes possible for others to link your face to your names in situations where we'd normally expect anonymity. I don't know how people write this stuff anymore. You understand they keep repeating the same things over and over. But that may have one word or two words changed and in a paragraph. Anyway, it says, um, A Carnegie Mellon University released reports that Ikeci said the team, which included CMU postdoctoral fellows Ralph Gross and Fred Stutman, uh, combine three technologies, an on-off-the-shelf face recognizer, cloud computing, and publicly available information from social network sites to identify individuals online and offline in the physical world. Since the technologies are also accessible by end users, results foreshadow a future when we all may be able... To recognise or be recognised on the street, not just by friends or government agencies using sophisticated devices, by by anyone with a smartphone and internet connection. Well, we already knew from Facebook and others too. That's why they put that out there. Everybody immediately put all their photographs up, and, and of course the CIA said thank you, thank you very much. So did the NSA and lots of others, and um, and and of course that's the idea of it. They're always collecting your data. As is in one experiment, Acoustie's team identified individuals in a popular online dating site where members protect their privacy through pseudonyms. In a second experiment, they identified students walking on campus based on their profile photos on Facebook. In a third experiment, the research team predicted personal interests and, in some cases, even the social security numbers of the students, beginning with only a photo of their faces. The release notes that Carnegie Mellon researchers also built a smartphone application to demonstrate the ability of making the same sensitive uh, inferences in real time. In an example of augmented reality, the application uses offline and online data to overlay personal and private information over the target's face on the device's screen. They call it seamless merging of that, they say. Cloud computing will continue to improve performance times at cheaper prices, and online people tagging and face recognition software but continue, will continue to provide more means of identification. Uh, what a world, eh? Uh, I, I saw a movie not too long ago, and it says the only right, uh, the, thing that you, the right that you have is, or you don't have really, is a right to privacy and anonymity. In a world where there's no anonymity, you can't have privacy wherever you happen to go. That's the world they're bringing in. Because, you see, that the guys who own you, uh, and you are owned, by the way, if you don't know it, um, want to make sure that uh, their animals are behaving the way they're supposed to be and the right weight, size, and doing the right things and all the rest of it. Because, you see, we're all worth money as you go along paying taxes throughout your lifetime. And even beyond that... Because we're just stock, I've said this so many times, you understand we're just stock, we're, we're the human herd. And that's how we're referred to even in medicine today when they talk about herd immunity, that's to immunize the herd. And they like to weigh us and, and poke us and prod us and x-ray us to make sure that the animals are going to be fit enough to continue and earn enough cash for them during their lifetime. And even when you're, you're before you're dead, they're, they're wanting parts of your body. Here's an article here. As things get worse and worse, they always start off with. I'll mention it during this actual article. This is to do with body parts. I mean, we live in a, in a cannibalistic system. I can remember when I was small. you used to have real butcher shops, and the butcher shops you'd, you'd see the carcass of the animal hanging up and. You'd also have a a picture on a wall of a cow, and it was all marked off in sections for the the prime cuts, etc., and what they were called. Well, I I actually think, my God, it's like like us, isn't it? It's kind of like us, we're all kind of animals, and uh, eventually they will be selling parts of us the same way. Well, we we already did that when we dehumanized ourselves by allowing them to run through abortion, Uh, knowing that would lead to the next step, which was body parts from fetal tissue. Uh, your, your, most inoculations are made and grown actually, the, the the viruses on, um, on fetal tissue today and then inject that mush into you. It's kind of cannibalistic, but most, most folk don't mind these days. But anyway, it's just one step and next step and the next step until you're, you're literally living in a form of barbarism. Legalize the sale of human kidneys and expert urges. And this is from, the herald scotland it says people should be allowed to sell their kidneys for twenty thousand pounds in a national health service regulated organ market a scots researcher has said i don't know if she is scotch actually she's probably living in scotland but uh, are working there because her name certainly isn't, in an article published online today by the British Medical Journal, Dr. Sue Rabbit-Roth. That's not a very Scottish name, and i am not been, been very bunny about that. Of Dundee University called on the health service to offer financial rewards to individuals willing to give up a kidney as a means of speeding up the rate of transplants and reducing the cost of treatments and dialysis to the National Health Service. But our comments divided the medical community amid concerns the payments would encourage people to risk their health for money. The British Medical Association said it would not support money being offered in exchange for kidneys. Now, this is a trial balloon, and it's a predictive programming article, and I'll explain this when I come back after this break. Folks, so we're back, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Reading an article about legalizing the sale of human kidneys, selling them. And an expert argues, well, who is this expert? Well, uh, it's Dr. Sue Rabbit Ruff. Uh, sorry, Ruff. I, I, I keep thinking about dog chasing her like Hamish across the field there, like Rabbit Ruff or Ruff. Anyway, uh, it's quite interesting. She's actually really, when you see what she is, she's really a bioethicist, which is a, a, a that's really the new name for eugenicist. And here they call it a different term again because we're catching on to the bioethics and whole bit. And she says here, uh, she says that she belongs to a a department of medicine to do with sociology. Sociology, in other words, is bioethics again. The sociology was founded in in, in eugenics. That's where it all comes from. All your social workers are taught that stuff too. About the inferior types and and the people at the bottom and how they'll all have a mess in their life and lots of problems for society, etc. It's all eugenics, you see. So anyway, this is a predictive programming. It's getting used to the idea coming, and it will come. It will come, just like they do in the Philippines. A lot of Americans who are very wealthy can get kidneys in the Philippines. I think they get about $2,000 for them over there, and most of them die because once you go back and there's always problems, uh, you go back to their own climate, etc., and conditions. Uh, they, don't, they can't even afford the antibiotics to, to, to fight the infections, and they, and they often die. There's been documentaries on it. But anyway, here we go again with bioethics. It says, Dr. Roff, a senior research fellow at Dundee's Department of Medical Sociology, you see, that's bioethics, please, it's a small step to move towards paid-for-kidney donation. She says, it's a very small step from where we are now to where I'm suggesting we go. We al- already allow strangers to donate kidneys out of the goodness of their hearts. They get the, their costs covered. They don't know who the recipient is. There's no publicity, no public acknowledgement of what they do. We've moved away from the notion that it has to be a family member. You see, here's the key, that step by She's showing this step-by-step. Step. I can remember when they started this stuff. And that always ought to be a family member to get the closest genetic match, you see. That's how they introduced this idea. Oh, yeah, and members love their own family, so they'll help. And we were kind of sympathetic, you see. Or a close associate who can give you a kidney. We've already moved into the zone of allowing the general public to make good-hearted donations. What I'm suggesting is why don't we add money to this equation in order to increase the amount of provision which is there because we're behind the eight ball in terms of the number of kidneys that are needed in the country and the community. There are currently seven hundred and twenty-five people in Scotland waiting for a new kidney, but the number coming up for transplant has plateaued at around two hundred in recent years. It says um, Dr. Roth said she should calculate her suggested fee of twenty thousand pounds based on average incomes. No kidding you. I mean, this is just business. You understand? It's just nothing but business and big bucks for the ones doing it. Compensation and the cost-benefit analysis to the health service of a successful transplant. She said the parameters have already been set by our compensation authorities in relation to criminal injuries and also in relation to military service compensation. If a person lost a a kidney in a criminal injury event, they would be eligible for compensation of £22,500 for a lost kidney. See, they start equating it with other things, and that's when they muddy the waters for the average person and they can't keep track of where it's going. And they say, oh, I'll just give up, it's coming anyway. She said, I came to this figure of £28,000 because that's the average national income in Britain at the moment, so it seems a fair price across all the social strata. It's also a great deal cheaper than it costs the National Health Service to treat someone on dialysis for a year, apart from all the social advantages of helping someone regain quality of life or even avert dying from renal failure. Everything I'm saying is just an extension of what exists. We've already got systems in place for men to donate sperm and women to donate eggs. That's paid for donation. You understand how they start connecting all the things, and you often wonder if it should have happened in the first place. And then it's, they equate it with, well, they're doing that over in this country, so why, why don't we do that there? That's how they start to use the, this rationale which is no rational at all. The special thing about kidneys is that we have two of them. She's, I can see she's been in medical school. Most of us can get by with one. She says she, she's definitely, you know, basic biology. The other thing is that live kidney donation is better than any deceased kidney donation. She's also, you know, a snob. It's med- medically stronger, and it's going to do more for the recipient than anything that comes from a dead person. And then she says, she said donators could be paid from a pool of money set aside by the National Health Service, preventing a black market trade in organs. There's only one black market trade, that's carbon taxes. A similar system could be applied to liver and blood donations, she added. But she's going to go places. She'll have to move from Britain and go elsewhere with the big cashes uh, because she's got the ideas. I can see she's up and coming. And that's that's Miss Sue Rabbit-Rough. So... But that's what I'm saying. You understand, it's a predictive programming article here. They're not. She's they're not telling you how much the surgeons get when you when you go into a hospital for taking something out of you, and how much often it's often a lot. of These things go to private buyers as well, who, who can afford the kidneys and how much they pay for it. And when you're in your hospital now, you don't know if that guy is going to save your life or if he's just like that chart in the wall with the, in the butcher's place I mentioned, with the cow, the cow there with all the choice cuts marked out. You don't know if he's looking you up and down to see how much money he can get off you, because you're worth more dead than alive. Well, you'll be dead once he's finished with you. Think about these things. Think about them. Because I'm telling you, that is the world that you live in. And these characters are all out for big, big cash. That's why they go into this kind of profession these days. And that's where you are with that. And also, it's interesting how Japan disappeared from the radar map on the day that we started bombing Libya. Well, I didn't bomb Libya. I had nothing to do with it, so I wouldn't say we anymore. They encourage you to use terms like that, too. Uh, And then you kind of lump yourself in with with the guilt. But uh, that's the day they stopped talking about Japan as though nothing had ever happened. And then these little bits sneak out once in a blue moon, very very rarely at all, to keep us all happy. You don't want us to sell radioactive kidneys or anything like that. Back with more after this break, and I'll read this article.
0: Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
2: Hi, folks, we're back, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix reading about how Japan suddenly appeared back in the radar. And this is TEPCO report second deadly radiation reading at Fukushima nuclear plant. T- uh, Tokyo Electric Power Company reported second deadly radiation reading in as many days as its wrecked Fukushima nuclear plant north of Tokyo. Utility known as TEPCO said yesterday detected five sieverts of radiation per hour in the number one reactor building on August 1st. In another area, it recorded radiation of 10 sieverts per hour, enough to kill a person within a few weeks after a single exposure, according to the World Nuclear Association. Radiation has impeded attempts to replace cooling systems to bring three melted reactors and four damaged-spent fuel ponds under control after the tsunami, etc., etc. This is probably the first of many more to come, said Michael Friedlerner, who spent 13 years operating nuclear power plants in the U.S., including the Crystal River Station, Florida. Although I'm not surprised, it concerns me greatly. The issue is the workers' safety. It's, actually, it's the world's safety because this stuff is floating around in a pretty well in a circle across the planet. It's still coming across Canada and the U.S. And... Um, and even, even all the sites that were up there from different governments telling us, oh, it was, be- it was below any concernable level, uh, they pulled them all off. Well, if it truly was so below and so minuscule, why didn't they leave all their sites up? Hmm? Well, actually, think for yourself, hopefully, there. Anyway, it says, the 10 secrets of radiation detected in August the 1st. Outside reactor buildings was the highest guy our counter, uh, counters used were capable of reading, indicating the level could have been much higher, probably it was. Uh, Junichi Matsumoto, general manager of the utilities, said at a press conference, "10 sievers is the upper limit for many dosimeters, and almost equal to the amount that killed the workers at the CO nuclear accident in 1999." Anyway, the stuff's still coming out, and supposedly, unless you get some new kind of technology or means of burning this stuff, because it's so low into the, the ground now, it's already um, there's water under the ground there too. It's just so level with the sea. Um, I don't know how they're going to put concrete around that. They don't know either, and they say it might take 10 years before this stuff burns itself out. Maybe we'll all need kidneys by then, eh? It will all be radioactive and bits will be pieces of pieces will we drop them off as and die off. As they already are, actually. And um, this article here is to do with Canada because this has been a big thing in Canada for many years. People don't realise that the police are the only ones authorised to use deadly force in any situation. That's law. Yeah. And it's the same with the United Nations under the uh, treaty they made back in the 60s to do with complete disarmament in a peaceful world. They said that ultimately only the United Nations army would be, have the right to use ultimate force, deadly force, and no one else. doesn't matter what happens to you or if a mass rapist comes in and rapes everybody and kills you, you can't do a darn thing about it, if you hurt them, that is. You know? And there's been a lot of really ridiculous things happened over the years in Canada, and uh, and still going on man who confronted an intruder was charged it says and it says that david chen is one of a number of canadians who've been charged by police in the past year after protecting their property it says um, A Toronto man escorting his girlfriend to her home Sunday night discovered Signs of entry to her house And freeing for the woman's mother sleeping inside So the mum was inside, right? Search for intruders A man was found hiding, Toronto police said An ensuing struggle left intruder bleeding from stab wounds As frightening as the incident was It is the charging of the boyfriend with aggravated assault Punishable by 14 years in prison That makes the case stand out in a clutter of urban crime or, I love how they call it urban, everyone's urbanised. It is the latest flashpoint in the debate over self-defence and protection of property after a number of high-profile cases across Canada brought a clamour for clarity and change. defence lawyers said on Tuesday it's the sort of case that a defendant, the 28-year-old man charged with stabbing, would want to be decided by a jury where citizens can imagine themselves in a similar circumstance and ponder what they might do. You can defend your property, you can defend persons in your charge, and you can defend yourself. In this case, he can make an argument to all three, but he has to use proportional force. Proportional force is a ridiculous terminology for this whole thing. Proportionate for, force. Said Gordon Drikstra, a criminal defense attorney in Abbotsford, BC. I think if he gets in front of a jury and he's halfway presentable, if he doesn't have a criminal record, makes a good case for that, uh, for what happened, a jury will acquit him. But Toronto police suggests this might not be a perfect example for champions of self defence rights. The man was charged because it's alleged the stabbing was excessive. Well, what is excessive when your when your blood's up, and uh, your girlfriend's mum is inside? This guy killed your mum. You don't know, said Constable Tony Villa. It's alleged that he stabbed the man a number of times. He's fortunate to be alive. Key to the cases that the multiple stab wounds were inflicted both inside the home and outside, Villa said, suggesting the occupants might have been able to close the door once he was outside and call police. People don't think when they're in crisis like that, and I tell you it's like being in war. If that happens to you, you'd never bring up a soldier for for, for, for doing this kind of stuff in a, in a war situation. The scene was incident, but of the incident was passed in court. Pleasant wall, uh, Pleasant Street in West Toronto, filled with large homes. The 32-year-old man was stabbed, was charged with break and enter. So he gets charged, charged with break and enter, uh, with intent to robber, if to steal, I guess. Another guy who stopped at all is up for what, you know. Neither accused could be reached for a comment, and recent self-defense cases have not gone well for prosecutors. Last month, Lawrence Manzer of Burton, New Brunswick, Had a mistrial declared in charges stemming from a confrontation with intruders on his neighbour's property, sloppy paperwork was cited as a reason. The same month, Kim Walker, a Yorkton, Saskatchewan welder, was sentenced to eight years after a Jew declined to find him guilty of murder for killing his daughter's boyfriend, whom he deemed to be destroying his drug-addicted 16-year-old daughter. He was found guilty of the lesser charge of manslaughter. In May, Joseph Singleton, 46, a farmer in Tabor, Alberta, and his charges, he was charged for assault with a weapon, an assault causing bodily harm, after he wounded a man who just burgled his home with the blunt end of a hatchet, referred to an alternative measures program. So he was given, basically, an alternative measures program. In March, prosecutors dropped gun charges against Ian Thompson, 53 of Port Colborne, Ontario, who shot at three masked men, caught firebombing his home, while one yelled, are you ye ready to die? What would you do? Uh, please give yourselves up. That's the kind thing to do. huh?" The Crown said there was no reasonable prospect of conviction in that case. But but I mean, the, the thing is, you understand, as government takes over more and more and more of what you had the right to do before, uh, you'll get these things happening all the time. It's happening all across society, in different areas of society. Because now, you see, you're in a socialistic type system where the government has authority over you, everybody you know, your family, relatives, and all the rest of it in different cases. And nothing's clear anymore. Uh, the only thing that hasn't changed is human nature in, in times of stress and crisis. And you will react the way that any person would generally react and tough luck on you if you're caught. And that's as simple as... I can remember when the guy who was in charge uh, he was uh, kind of pointed over the the Toronto Metro Police Association. He also had a, had a, ju- a jewellery store, although he was, he was a politician. Uh, he ran outside with a gun firing after guys who had busted his store and uh, anybody else would have been charged the whole bit and they tried to charge him and then they dropped it immediately because... He'd have his special standing. Because some are more equal in such utopias as socialism, you see. And uh, that's how it really is in the real world. But uh, things are getting worse and worse. And uh, (laughs) police are to carry it on the spot, fingerprinting in the street, even for minor traffic offenses. It says, police are now armed with a device that can scan fingerprints. They can currently identify suspects who lie about their details. So they've got an excuse here, a wave to justify what they, why they're using it. And what sounds like something out of George Orwell's dystopia, 1984. Suspects can now be fingerprinted on the street thanks to a new handheld police gadget. This is Britain, by, think, by the way. And the States have just introduced the one that can do this and do your iris scan at the same time. Isn't that wonderful? The Mobile Identification Service scans a print and checks it by trawling through a national database for details. No doubt with the aid of Google and uh, all the rest of them, too, who are all part of the NSA. Uh, police insist they do not retain the print afterwards. I read an article yesterday where everything they've said that they have for a few years or a year or so has been a lie. They've kept all data, and they'll keep it forever. So that's just the way it is in this wonderful world of, I can't see ours anymore. And then tonight, you to put up a site. is the CIA's secret sites in Somalia and it says National Back of, of Mogadishu's Aden Adi International Airport. It's a sprawling wall compound run by the Central Intelligence Agency. Set in the coast of the Indian Ocean, the facility looks a small, gated community with more than a dozen buildings behind large, protective walls, and secured by guard towers at each of its four corners. Adjacent to the compound are eight large metal hangars, and the CIA has its own aircraft at the airport. The site, which airport officials and Somali intelligence sources say, was completed four months ago was guarded by Somali soldiers, but the Americans control access and it goes on and on about that. It's quite a good article, and should look into that. They've got them all over the planet, these things. All over the planet. And and then two, to do with the coming uh, cloud, it's already here, of course, cloud. They're altering the laws about copying uh, disks and all the rest of it to make it more compatible with all the laws that they've already got worked taught in the books. This guy in, in Britain, as the guy's introducing it, it, says, Cable, Mr. Cable his name is, I don't really get the names in Britain now, they've all changed since I was there. Cable stops millions breaking the law. Vince Cable is expected to legislate away intellectual property laws that inadvertently caused millions of Britons to break the law tomorrow. The said their plans for copyright reform will almost certainly wipe away, wipe away old rules around transferring data that make it illegal to copy the CDs or DVDs into different format. Millions of British people are currently transferring music and video files to their iPod or their devices without knowing they're breaking the law. Mr. Cable says we're determined to explore how exceptions to copyright can benefit the UK economy and support growth. It should always have an year purpose. Private copying was carried by millions of people, and many are astonished that it is legal in this country. But when you read down, it's all to do with, again, Google, Amazon, Apple who are all keen for this new system, to come in for the cloud network, etc. It's to do with the cloud, because that's where you're all being guided to. Uh, when they first gave you the computer, they gave you the idea of competition, even with your search engines. It's all a con. See, so when you think you've got competition, it must be real, like all different competing companies. No, the idea was that they wanted you to get a computer. And step by step, they'd narrow the gates with you inside of it along the way. Until you get one eventu- system eventually. And you'll, you'll, once you're into the one system, um, that's you. That's it. There's, there's no such thing as competition whatsoever. It, it's where they wanted you to be in the first place. You're guided there by your own naivete. That's what it's about. Now, we'll go to the callers. Now, there, there's Sam in Toronto. If Sam's there. Hello?
0: Hi, Mr. Allen. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, I can, yep.
0: Okay, perfect. What a great show uh, today. Uh, But I wanted to touch on a different uh, topic quickly. Um, Something that disgusts me is is what happened in the in the in the meltdown, in the great meltdown, the economic meltdown. And something that people don't realize, but it's it's uh, basically the fact that our bankers they they basically took all these mortgages, Mm -hmm. they uh, they put them together and they sold them, right? as, uh, I guess, derivatives of the actual performance of these mortgages. They didn't sell the actual mortgages to uh, offshore um, sovereign funds or whatever, or pension funds of different countries. So they actually just sold some derivative, worthless derivative that, that was based on the performance of of the gradual increase of these mortgages in the real estate property, where they didn't actually sell the actual property. So mm-hmm. basically, as I understand it, after the after everything crashed and these derivatives became worthless, it's not like the offshore or um, the bank or uh, or the sovereign fund somewhere they didn't actually end up owning the banks. I mean the the houses, the properties once once the crash happened and once the owner for uh, couldn't afford to pay their payments and the, and the house became foreclosed upon the banks actually, we're still owners of the actual property, as I understand it. I wanted to know if that, if that is correct.
2: It's even worse than that. Uh, what they did is, is buy them. Uh, the big banks at the very, very top, the ones who, who we all build out, the big banks, were the ones who ended up holding them, apparently. But what they did, they encouraged the smaller banks to pass on the mortgages to the next ones, inflate it, inflate the prices, and, and sell it off as a as a good asset, to the next bunch. And it went through maybe 30 different hands or banks before we get to the ones at the top. So fast, in fact, often the ones at the top would take um, possession of the deeds, etc. Uh, sometimes they didn't even have possession of the deeds. They're still fighting over which banks actually own them today, because there were so many that were passed through, as I say. but each one simply inflated the price, and since this is a great, a great deal to hold on to. They're going to be mortgaging this house for another 40 years, uh, so, so they inflate the price as a good asset and, and, pass it on to the next guy who didn't do the same thing. Uh, and so, and right up to the top guys until thousands and thousands of homes were lost in this, literally lost in the shuffle. And, um, even the people who had the deeds and the, the homeowners, uh, would find they couldn't even find out who, who eventually owned their homes anymore it didn't matter who was initially on the deed it had been passed uh, on so many times above them through the banks working the scam themselves
0: so, so basically the, the sort of cut short is basically yeah. it, it just the banks owning real possession real valid, yep. real goods which in terms of the house mm-hmm. for for just the, some useless cash and not even cash in this case some derivative that the, yeah. Basically, they, they, they profited on both ways and, and they ended up being the winners of all this. Oh, yeah. Not
2: only that. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You better, you, not only the winners, I mean, they, they, bailed out, uh, they're still getting bailed out by, they've had so many bailouts that they've given themselves multi-billion dollar bonuses. Uh, and then at the same time, they turn around and they start finding that they still own a lot of these houses. So they also own a lot of the houses still, even though they've been bailed out and compensated for the loss of them. I mean, it's just incredible how they've scammed everybody. But again, is it really because they run the U.S. government? The big banks run the government.
0: Yeah, It looks looks like a free-for-all between all these elite factions before, I guess, the the big day of the big uh, uh, reckoning. I guess everybody just having a little free-for-all, taking what they can whether it's the military industrial complex, how they've basically pillaged the Middle East for all the resources, whether it's the banks, it's just like they're scrambling at these last minutes to collect whatever they can in anticipation of uh, some uh,
2: new world order. Uh, Yeah, it's plunderizing the world, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, these banks too... um, what they do, they work with the real estate guys, and, and they tell them, oh, this property is going to be worth it. double this in two months' time or one year's time. And This is the scams that they pull off. They can do with any commodity, you understand. And they, they, they see homes as commodities. They don't care about the people living in them. And uh, and they can do this with with anything at all that's vital for your survival, and the government allows them to do it. And then they get rewarded for it. It's just astonishing.
0: Yeah. I, I just can't believe... Uh People are on the streets rioting after.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, thousands lost 10 cities in the U.S. and and elsewhere. Canada's still to see the earth come. Yeah, it will happen here, too. Same scams is going on here as well. But uh, thanks for calling back after this break. Hi, folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, and we'll go to Larry from Louisiana. Are you there, Larry?
1: Hi, Alan. Uh, You were talking about that uh, facial recognition technology. Did you know that uh, Apple just rolled out their new voice recognition technology? Uh, I say new in quotes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, it's for the Apple Care program, which is where you pay a few extra bucks when you buy a machine, and you can always call in. Well, I used to have to call in and tell them my name, who I was, and read the serial number of the machine and all that, identify myself. Now I just call in and the computer says, how may I help you? And I just say MacBook Pro. And the lady just comes on and says, yes, Larry, what can we do today? Mm -hmm. Now, isn't that just wonderful? The next program I really would like them to write for me is, you know, that web speak thing where the computer can read your emails to you in that robotic voice? That's right. I want that thing reading in my voice with my dialectic. Oh, yeah, I want that program. But first I'm going to have to get over the concept and the true idea that uh, they can have me saying anything, anywhere, at any time, and prove that it's me because it's uh, my voice print.
2: That's exactly right. What they're using, of course, is a technology have had in the NSA for many, many, many moons, because uh, they've been monitoring all of our voices across the world for, for 20, 30 years, actually, and they've had voice prints for that long. Now they're putting it into the low-level market uh, and uh, hoping that they've got anybody on it now who they've missed, and so, but yeah, you're, you're quite right, um, what we're getting now today is actually, we're getting we're getting antique technology, we think it's cutting edge, but it's, it's, in a sense, antique. And, of course, at the very top NSA they've had that for stuff for 20, 30 years, at least 30 years, I'd say. Yeah.
1: That's exactly right, Alan. Okay, appreciate your program. Thank you.
2: Thanks for calling. And it's true, they, they, they've had some, this technology so that if you phone from another country, they immediately know uh, your voice, is immediately recognized, and, and uh, up comes your name and, and where you really live, et cetera. Uh, no doubt too where you, where you are now And how you got there Without your knowing it And more about you than you'd ever, ever know about yourself In fact And maybe tomorrow I'll talk about the mind reading technologies Your tax money is going into As they go into that whole area It's, it's vast actually And all the big universities are getting grants To find ways to monitor What you might be thinking It's just incredible Eventually it'll, it'll be, you'll have to wear some kind of helmet Or, or maybe a suit of armour with a, a ground wire on it into the, the earth so that you can get some peace and quiet without something tapping into you. And if they can tap into you, remember, they can also motivate you as well. Anything that can literally pulse over your brain for a game and um, predict what you're going to do can also pulse a certain parts of the brain once it's adapted to you and make certain, you do go through certain motions as well. Works both ways, remember. But this is a technology that they're using and uh, it doesn't bode well for the future. You cannot have a, a free society, understand, and this technology at the same time. It, it doesn't compute. And, in fact, they've discussed this, this technology that's here today and what's to come. They discussed all of this at least 50, 60 years ago, uh, that this was what would happen. We get to a stage where you could not ever, never have peace or freedom Except, mind you, for an elite And they already set all the laws down for the elite That's why you can't find much data on them Even on that silly thing called Wiki Which is a big propaganda forum where they all argue with each other And try to get their points of view across And that's where most people, unfortunately, even get most of their information today They believe, they believe Wiki, not knowing that it's just a forum uh, for propaganda from all, all varieties of people, all sides, everything. So you can't count on that, too. But uh, it doesn't look good uh, unless you've got a, a, a spare spaceship you can get off to some distant planet uh, far away from even NASA's reach and, uh, and, and live the rest of your life out there. Unfortunately, we're stuck here with all of its rules and regulations and the planned agenda. From Hamishman Settlement here, Canada. It's good night to me. Your God or your God's school with you.